Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the ANWA Deterrence Center. Each week, we bring you leading nuclear deterrence experts for a lively discussion on current topics. Our host is Dr. Adam Lowther, Director of Strategic Deterrence Programs at the National Strategic Research Institute. The views of the host and the guests are their own. All right, and welcome into our next edition of the Nucleocast, where the Advanced Nuclear Weapons Alliance Deterrence Center brings some of the greatest thinkers and operators together to talk about nuclear weapons and to talk about nuclear modernization. Now today, we are very, very blessed to hear from one of the truly esteemed thinkers about nuclear weapons. Dr. Mark Schneider is a senior analyst with the National Institute for Public Policy. Now, if you were to read Mark's bio, it is a mile long because Mark has been around the block and has done some amazing things. And he, in fact, didn't you have a recent article uh, that, that came out of uh, last week talking about the future of deterrence? Uh, yes, uh, on China. So uh, Mark, of course, is an expert in Russia and of course, China as well. But today, we're going to talk Russia and Russian nuclear weapons policy and strategy. Now, Mark, of course, also contributed to Guide to Nuclear Deterrence in the Age of Great Power Competition, in which he wrote Russian Nuclear Strategy and Forces. And so with that introduction, Mark, let me jump into the first question. So Russia, they're a nuclear peer, but has our failure to modernize allowed a Russian arsenal that once lagged the United States, and you know, as Matt, you know, Matt Kronig wrote a great book on, on nuclear strategy in which he said, hey, in every instance in which there was crisis between two nuclear powers, the power that had the superior arsenal always achieved its objectives and came out on top. And I, I guess I'm wondering, do you see us at a time where that advantage that we've historically maintained over the Russians has now been matched and have the Russians, because of their aggressive modernization, surpassed us? Or where do you see we are in terms of the U.S.-Russia dynamic? Well, unfortunately, they've already surpassed us, although there are areas where we still maintain it. Uh, an advantage. Uh, During the Cuban Missile Crisis with the Soviet Union, we had over 20 to 1 nuclear advantage. Now the only real debate is whether they have twice as many nuclear weapons as we do, or four or five times as many. I'm on the the four or five. But uh, even if uh, it's twice as many, this is a fundamental uh, shift uh, in the balance of power. And uh, there's even a more, uh, a greater difference in modernization. We're still about 10 years away uh, from any modernization uh, of any significance in the the U.S. nuclear deterrent. Uh, They have been modernizing every year uh, since 2007, and uh, they will continue to modernize on a very large scale. Um, the, uh, The most amazing thing of 
of what you're doing, uh, is it's almost Soviet-like, despite the enormous difference in economics that, that existed. Uh, the, the Soviets invested, you know, 40 percent uh, of their gross national product at the peak of the Cold War in uh, military, and uh, a significant percentage, probably 20 or 30, was in in nuclear. Uh, they actually probably uh, invest. Um, well, a much less of a percentage of the gross national product, but the percentage that goes to nuclear uh, is higher probably than uh, that of the Soviet Union. They've announced over 20 uh, strategic nuclear weapon modernization programs, and they, they talk a great deal uh, about that. Um, the modernization is constant. It's not like what we plan, uh, you're basically replacing very old systems, uh, 30, 40, 50, 60 year old systems with uh, new uh, systems, their modernization is literally never ending. Uh, they say that they have already modernized 83% uh, of um, their uh, uh, strategic nuclear forces. Uh, within the last month or so, the uh, head of the United States Strategic Command said they've modernized 80 to 85%. So there's no debate anymore on, on that uh, issue. And the real thing you have to understand is that when they reach 100%, things are not going to stop there. They're just going on to uh, replacements of new systems and with either improved versions of it or uh, additional new systems. And that is going to go on uh, indefinitely uh, unless there's a complete economic collapse uh, in the Soviet Union, because as they openly state at the most senior level uh, point, uh, Putin, President Putin, uh, uh, General Shoigu, their defense minister, this is their highest national priority. Uh, and they really think nuclear weapons are important. They make nuclear uh, use threats all the time. They uh, exercise uh, the first use of nuclear weapons in all of their major uh, nuclear exercises. And by the way, uh, one of the big ones has, has just concluded yesterday, SAP at uh, 2021. Uh, and uh, there's no indication at all that this is going to change uh, any uh, time soon. They have the lowest threshold for the use of nuclear weapons uh, in the world. Uh, and now we face something uh, Admiral uh, Richard uh, stated recently. Uh, we don't have one peer competitor. We've Right now, thanks to what the Chinese are doing, we've got two peer competitors. And when you put the two together, uh, it's possible uh, that... Uh, by the end of, of uh, this decade, uh, that they may, in combination, outgun us by seven or eight times. And uh, even if it's not that, it's likely to be uh, certainly five or six times. So this is a fundamental uh, negative development uh, in uh, global security. And uh, in the worst case, it could result in war. Now, Mark, as we think about the why of Russian modernization, would you say that we might be in a period of time now where Russia's reliance on nuclear weapons is similar to you know the American reliance during the period of the new look and that you know we have superior conventional forces in Europe and therefore Russia is turning to uh, it, you know nuclear forces to you know, is that great equalizer? Or would you say there's something else motivating Russian modernization? Well, the, the period of the new look, the 1950s, 
uh, was the period that we had the maximum investment in nuclear forces. Uh, we uh, developed, I mean, we spent 10% of our gross national product on defense. Uh, that's uh, two, two and a half times uh, what we're spending today. And a uh, much higher percentage of uh, the budget, probably at least 20%, uh, went to nuclear forces. So uh, in, in that, there is a significant uh, similarity between the new look period of the 50s and current Russian policy. But I would point out one significant difference. Uh, during the 1950s, there was a general um, recognition uh, that nuclear weapons use was dangerous, that we wanted to deter, uh, not fight. Uh, Putin talks um, about nuclear weapons use. He's the only president in uh, of any country, I mean, uh, that has nuclear weapons or any country doesn't have nuclear weapons for that matter, that makes nuclear attack threats. He does that frequently. Uh, and uh, there's no indication that that is uh, uh, going to change. Uh, he's a 19th century imperialist. Uh, and um, his role model is basically Bismarck. And the problem with that is Bismarck wouldn't have been Bismarck if he lived in a world with nuclear weapons because he had enough sense to recognize that it's too dangerous to do that sort of stuff. And this is, of course, before World War I uh, and the, before we got a taste of the, um, you know, the impact of modern industrial technology on warfare uh, where you can kill tens of millions of people. With nuclear weapons, uh, you can go up an order of magnitude on that and do it very quickly. Uh, so this is a fundamental change. Uh, yet this guy in, in 2015, Mr. Putin, said um, that he learned on the mean streets of uh, St. Petersburg, excuse me, Leningrad, the old Soviet name for St. Petersburg, uh, that when a fight's inevitable, get in the first strike. And, and no action officer put that in the speech. This is pure Putin. Um, and uh, that's the way he thinks. And he's a dangerous man. And uh Giving him nuclear superiority is perhaps the dumbest thing that any country's ever done, uh, because their whole strategy is based on the premise that they can initiate a small nuclear strike and that we will capitulate and there won't be a large nuclear war. And he's just he, I mean, he's just said uh, that if he had sunk a British destroyer in the Black Sea, uh, it wouldn't likely have led uh, to a major war. That's a really dangerous mentality to have when you're talking about using nuclear weapons uh, in very low in, uh, level conflicts. Now it's about time for us to take a break. But before we go to the break, I wanna pose a question that when we come back, I'd ask uh, for you to contemplate. So as we think about the future with Russia, do you think that the current modernization path that the United States is on in regard to maintaining stable deterrence is the right modernization path to deter Putin? And so I'll throw that over to you. And then when we come back from the break, I'll ask you to respond. This episode of NucleCast is brought to you by the ANWA Deterrence Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. 
right, and we're back, and we're back with Dr. Mark Schneider with the National Institute for Public Policy, and we are discussing Russian nuclear strategy. Now, Mark, before the, the break, I asked you to, to tell us whether you thought we were on the right modernization path to effectively deter Russia. Well, yes and no. The, the yes part of it is the triad is absolutely essential uh, for deterrence. Uh, you cannot have an effective deterrence if you start cutting legs away. Uh, the ICBM force in particular, which is one of the main targets of, of the arms control um, uh, enthusiasts and, and, and the left, uh, is critically important uh, because there's no way to take it out with a small strike. Of nuclear weapons, and that's the whole basis of Putin's um, nuclear strategy: the idea that they can launch uh, a small number of nuclear weapons, and and uh, that uh, that will result in, in in the West capitulating to them. If if they're put in a position where uh, we uh, they can hit five targets or ten targets uh, in the United States, potentially even with low-yield weapons, uh, maybe 15 low-yield weapons, if, if you go that way. Uh, and they, they uh, can take out a, a large portion of our nuclear deterrent. Uh, I think that increases the probability of them actually doing what they say they're going to do significantly. Now, uh, so the triad, the, the bombers, the, the, the ICBMs, and, and the ballistic missile submarines is critical. Um, on the, on the negative side, our modernization is minimal. Um, we are doing, um, you know, one system for every leg of the triad. Their modernization has somewhere between two and maybe a half dozen uh, systems for every leg, and they're and they're expanding the triad. They're introducing new systems that never existed before. Some of them, which I think are literally crazy, like the nuclear-powered cruise missile. Uh, they hadn't they haven't haven't had a successful test of that yet, and every time they they launch the thing, it crashes, and we got radiation on Europe. The other one is, I think, a little more sensible, but still very dangerous. That's the nuclear-powered, nuclear-armed drone submarine called the Poseidon. So uh, they have a vastly greater modernization program. They are staging uh, nuclear tests. That's in the LSD State Department uh, compliance uh, reports. We're not. Uh, that puts us at a really major uh, disadvantage, and it explains the scope of the nuclear weapons modernization, uh, the actual weapons rather than the delivery vehicles. They have uh, a major program. They said this at, at the defense minister level, that they're actually developing, introducing new types of nuclear weapons, and this goes back to 2005 when uh, the defense minister said uh, that they're nearly operational. And that's been continuous. Uh, we are pursuing something called stockpile stewardship, which is basically trying to keep our old weapons working forever and rebuilding them and then rebuilding them again. Uh, that's very difficult to do um, uh, from, a, from a technical standpoint without uh, nuclear uh, testing, because we build our nuclear weapons um, to be inherently what we call one point safe, which means if you shoot a bullet into them, you drop them, uh, uh, you uh, light a fire on them uh, and, and they explode, you won't get any significant nuclear yield. Uh, that's a great thing to have, and I'm not suggesting to change that in any way, but the side effect of that is they're less robust. 
uh, than they would be if we weren't worried about that sort of thing. Uh, so uh, we start out with a disadvantage there, and then you have them testing, and we're not testing, and it's gone on at least since the middle uh, 1990s. Uh, uh, there's a impressive amount of, of um, uh, literature uh, in Russia uh, where senior officials actually were talking about staging what they call hydronuclear tests uh, in the 1990s. Uh, so, it, and in one or two instances, the atomic energy minister said they're actually doing that. So, uh, there's no question about that in my mind. Uh, I think there's a real possibility uh, that they are staging more than hydronuclear tests, that they're staging low yield nuclear tests. Uh, and they're very, very difficult to detect. And uh, uh, I, I, I think that is going on, although I don't have proof of that. Uh, but certainly in, in relation to the very extensive modernization program that's going on on their uh, nuclear uh, weapons themselves, uh, you'd almost have to do something like that to, to do the sorts of things they're openly talking about doing. Uh, and um, that includes not only standard types of nuclear weapons, fission fusion weapons, uh, but uh, very low collateral damage, uh, directed uh, uh, energy inputs, um, output uh, types of weapons. Uh, Admiral uh, Monroe, Vice Admiral Monroe, the former director of DNA has written a great deal about this. And uh, it's a very disturbing development, although it hardly, um, gets uh, a lot of attention uh, in the United States, but uh, it's something that we don't have and they do have. Uh, so that uh, I think uh, is a significant factor. The last thing I talk about is the hypersonic um, uh, weapons. One of the most serious um, disparities that now exists uh, is in hypersonic uh, weapons. Uh, the Russians have at least a half dozen uh, uh, hypersonic uh, missile systems. They're all either nuclear armed or, or dual capable. In other words, nuclear or conventional. We have literally zero programs to develop a hyper uh, hypersonic nuclear capable missile. That is a vast disparity uh, we're allowing to develop. Putin brags about these weapons all the time uh, and he rattles them all the time. Uh, and uh, he believes that it gives them a tremendous advantage, and in some key respects, it does. Uh, the U.S. National Command Authority, uh, the President, the uh, Secretary of Defense, Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, is very vulnerable to nuclear attack. And the, the, the big difference between hypersonic and ballistic missiles is they get to their targets much faster than ballistic missiles do. Uh, so, you, uh, and Putin has actually alluded to that in one of the State of the Nation addresses. He told us to look at the timelines. Now, he didn't elaborate, but what he meant was that you can't get the president out of uh, Washington, D.C. in time uh, to prevent him from being killed uh, by uh, Russian nuclear hypersonic missiles. So uh, that is a real, really bad situation to allow to happen. Uh, and my view is, uh, ideally, uh, we should be uh, going ahead with uh, a, a nuclear-armed hypersonic program. I mean, take one of the number of hypersonic missiles we're developing and just put a, a, a small nuclear weapon on it. Uh, and uh, it wouldn't be uh, terribly expensive. The big cost would be already taken by the conventional 
uh, version, and, and we'd have something to deter them with. Uh, instead, uh, even late in, in this decade, when the B-21, which should be a very advanced stealth bomber, comes into uh, operation, uh, it, uh, until the uh, convention of the nuclear cruise missile, the LSRO, uh, is ready, and that's probably in the 30s, early 30s, um, the only thing we're going to have to carry on, on that thing is gravity bombs. And that's kind of silly. Uh, I mean, it's the it's the least, I mean, it's you built in a vulnerability into the system for no, for no apparent reason. Um, you don't want, uh, gravity bombs are fine for a lot, a lot of targets. The new version, B-61, will have uh, 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 near precision guidance, which will, be, uh, which will help uh, significantly, but it's not something you want to you want to drop on a heavily defended target because you're uh, you're likely either get shot down trying to get it close enough, or if even if you do survive the, uh, the penetration, the bomb itself could be intercepted after you you uh, let it go because it's not stealthy. Well, wow, that is a detailed and very much appreciated description of where you think we are in terms of our modernization and where we should go relative to the Russians. Now, unfortunately, we are out of time for the podcast. And so what I, what I want to do is I want to ask Mark, at some future point, would you be willing to come back and give us more of your thoughts? Oh, on certainly. The Russians and the Chinese? Oh, excellent. Wonderful. All right. Well, I will go ahead and end the show and say thank you, Mark, for being on the show. And thank you for the work that you do. And we will definitely look forward to having you back in the future. Well, well, thank you. And I, I, I certainly appreciate you having me on to, uh, to begin. <laughs>